This is Ibarian X, and welcome to The Candid Frame. This episode of The Candid Frame is brought to you by Squarespace, the all-in-one platform that makes it fast and easy to create your own professional website or online portfolio. For a free trial and 10% off, go to squarespace.com and use the offer code Candid Frame. We also have the support of Lynda.com, who with over 2,000 high-quality and engaging videos, provides a wide breadth of courses from beginner to advanced. Lynda.com is there to help you learn creative, software, and business skills to achieve your personal and professional goals. To take advantage of their 10-day free trial, visit Lynda.com forward slash the Candid Frame. That's L-Y-N-D-A forward slash The Candid Frame. Happy New Year, everyone, and welcome to the ninth year of The Candid Frame. I want to thank all of you for listening and supporting the show, especially those who have stuck around from the very beginning. It's been a wonderful journey, and I look forward to providing you some great content in the coming year. During this time, I've had the pleasure to see the growth of many photographers in my career. It's especially gratifying to see their progress as they discover their own unique voice. Today's guest, Nancy Lehrer, was a listener of the show who several years back reached out to me, eventually leading to a great friendship. It's been, it's been my pleasure to see her become a great photographer. Like another photographer, Rinzi Ruiz, they have both become amazing shooters as a result of putting in the work. They are not only friends, but also great sources of inspiration for me. We began our conversation by asking her what she attributes her recent transformation as a photographer. Oh, so probably a couple things. Um, One was how I actually got to meet you, which was I was hearing and I was, I was involved in the local photo clubs. Um, and I still think they have great worth, but they go down a certain path of following rules and of being what I call pixel perfect. Um, they're wedding photographers or landscape photographers. They're out there to sell imagery. And I was hitting against a place where, I was getting more satisfied with my work, but it was getting less, um, you know, accepted in that community. And I had to find the other community. So I, you know, I came to you and I said, Iberonex, can you tell me, is this good? Is this bad? Am I crazy? (laughs) And um, you sort of pointed me off in some directions of studying with Jay Maisel, studying with Sam Abel. And, you know, thinking about my work a little bit differently. Um, And the study with Sam Abel was really, I mean, he changed my photography dramatically. Uh, The way he teaches, the way he puts together an image just clicked with the way I think and was able to help me make more complex images and sort of grow the way I've been growing. Can you you quantify that by explaining 
what exactly you were you were discovering? Because it seems like you were already kind of doing that along along, along the lines of your work. But I think that studying with Sam and, and later on with Jay sort of gave you sort of the verbiage to be able to express and understand it. Is that is that on point? Yeah, and I think the way to build it up. So I never really liked this idea. I called it bits and pieces photography. I never really liked this idea of simplification that that you read and hear so much about. I never really liked the doors and windowsills, if if you will. Mm-hmm. And but I didn't know how to put together a bigger sort of more complex composition without it just being a mess. Um, and so Sam has a particular way of teaching how to see the, the background, how to set that up, you know, his compose and wait sort of style, but how to set that up and then how to see things come through it and to build an additive picture rather than a subtractive, what do you leave out, but what do you decide to include approach. And it just clicked with with what I was trying to do and the kinds of street photography I was trying to create um, to give me a way to sort of uh, find a method for doing it, um, which I think is really important until you learn instinctually. I mean, I think instinctually you come up with some individual gems, but not sort of a consistent way to go out and be successful. Yeah, and Sam's whole idea is is built on this this concept of f- like finding the setting first yeah you know, finding, finding the setting wait for the action to happen it's not as directive quite as he makes it sound like you know find your setting and then wait forever <laughs> and mm-hmm. hope something happens it's 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 interactive it's find the setting wait for something to happen adjust your setting you know, adjust a little more, but you're getting acclimatized to a particular space and figuring out how you can move within that space and still keep the, the you know, edges clean and the subject clear and, you know, the interrelationships um, clean. Well, what was the hardest part for you in terms of not just learning that, but being able to practice that consistently once you didn't have the benefit of the workshop? Boy, uh, you know, I think it's just a matter of doing it. I I came up in the school playing music. I, you know, I studied music as a kid. And so I have this notion of practice built into me. So maybe other people don't quite have that notion of practice. So, I, you know, I just go out and practice. And that was fine with me. And if I got something, that'd be great. And if I didn't get something, it was practice. You know, it was helping me for the next time. I think um, the other thing that that I did is I sort of had to step, take small steps in choosing wider and wider focal lengths. So I think when we start, we're really comfortable at 70 and 80 millimeters. And and it took me a while to sort of dial that back. Okay, now I'm going to shoot at 50. Now I'm going to shoot at, you know, 40. Now I'm going to shoot mostly at 35. You know, and now, you know, what if I go wider and then still be able to control all the thing? I think that was another sort of interesting stepping stones that I took. Well, let's talk about your career as a musician, because I, I attribute a lot to what you've achieved photographically to the discipline that you 
you experienced as as a musician. Give us some details on what that part of your life was like. Well, so it started when I was in fourth grade, and I started studying the flute. And then in seventh grade, I started studying the oboe, and that's all I wanted to do. I was like headset. I was going to be an oboist, and I was going to play in a symphony, major symphony orchestra. And I had no idea what that meant, and I had no idea how to get from here to there. Um, there was nothing in my family background that I could lean on. I happened to have some really great teachers around me at the time. There was a fabulous uh, youth symphony program at California Institute of the Arts. Um, and I had a really great junior high school teacher. And so all of that helped me put together, sort of put me in this, in this stage of being a musician at a very young age. Um, and that meant practicing every day. And that meant doing performances a lot whether you were ready or not. Um, I, Cal Arts, you know, this is a group of junior high and high school students, and we gave a full-length symphony concert every two months. Uh, and it meant all day Saturdays. Other people might have been playing or doing whatever. All day Saturdays, I was in orchestra rehearsals and chamber music and hanging around with other young musicians. Um, and I think that did have a, a big impact. And then... You go on to learn that you study with the masters of that art. You go study with the first oboist of San Francisco or Boston or wherever it is. And, and it's, it's a way of life to learn how to do that. In your, your career, um, you had a professional career with the orchestra, right? Kind of. <laughs> so it's, it's, it's a lot like other arts in that. The top, you know, 10% get jobs and the rest sort of make do. And um, you play a lot of 4th of July concerts in the park and a lot of graduation ceremonies. And at some point you decide, is this really matching up with the four to eight hours worth of practicing I'm doing and the goals I've set for myself? Mm -hmm. and, and you have to decide, are you going to continue doing that, are you going to find something else to make money and, you know, teach or be creative in some other way? So I did, I, I, sub, I was a sub with the Springfield Symphony Orchestra in Massachusetts. I did a lot of junior high and high school teaching um, privately. Um, I played gigs around town once we moved to L.A., but it was never, a, you know, a money-making career for me. I eventually got a degree in computer science, and that's how I've uh, been making my living ever since. So one of the big things about, about you that's of interest to me is the fact that you, as you said, you make, in, you make your living, you know, in computers. You have a full-time job, but you've always made the effort to make the time to go out and, and shoot. And the amazing progress that you've made over the three years, I directly attribute to the fact that you, you make the time. But it's such a difficult thing for so many people. So tell me how you've managed to, you know, manage to do it, because I think it's a big thing for, for a lot of people to understand. It's, it's interesting. So I figured out a few years ago that I need to be creating all the time, um, that I just am miserable unless I'm creating. And I was in a position at work 
Uh, so a lot of my work I've been creating a lot, you know, whether it's programming or designing programs or whatever, it's very creative and it's very much about creating and building something. But I got to a point where I wasn't creating so much. I was managing people who created, I was managing the processes of creation, but I wasn't creating myself. And I just saw it as like, okay, the first half of my day is about doing this management thing. And then I have another second half of the day, which is creating. And so like when I leave the house at six o'clock to go to the local photo club and stay out till 10 or 11, it was like a second day to me. It was like, oh, this is Tuesday part A and this is Tuesday part B. And I just could not do it. So in that sense, it's, it's a huge outlet for me and I can just turn off everything I was thinking about, about work, about family, about whatever other stresses and just, just be in the moment around photography. And so what's not to do about that? I don't always have the time to go out and shooting as much as I want, but I stay as involved as I can. You just, you just do it. You, I, you know, the weekends for me are, are, I, there's nothing I wouldn't rather be doing than, driving into downtown and doing something or Hollywood or Melrose or whatever it is. And where'd you pick it up initially? Had it been always something you were interested in or did you start picking it up a little later on? Um, yeah, that's funny because my father always was taking pictures. He was, and when I was growing up, everybody in the family had a camera and I thought that every family had a camera. We all had our Instamatics, you know, with the little square flash bulb that they probably wouldn't let anybody sell anymore because little kids would burn their fingers on them, I'm sure. Um, and then when I was in like fourth grade, I went to this summer camp and I don't remember any of the details leading up to this, but I went to the summer camp with a Brownie Hawkeye camera and I was immediately dubbed the camp photographer. I must've gone everywhere with that camera. And I don't have those pictures, but I know that those pictures got published like in the camp newsletter and things like that. Um, so I was always taking pictures. And I did that all through college uh, in the 70s, mid-70s. I bought a Canon AE-1. Um, and that was what I decided to spend my hard-earned money to buy. And I used that camera for like 20 years until I finally bought some smaller point-and-shoots and went through some of those because... I felt it was too much to carry around. Um, so I was always shooting photography and I was always doing what I do now, observing and taking pictures of candid life. You know, you were talking about earlier about as you started developing a photographer, you were a member of a, of a photo club up where you, where you live. And it got to the point where you felt like they didn't necessarily understand or support the work that you were doing. And you know, moments like that can be, can sort of take a root in your, in one's own insecurity and self-doubt, but it seems like you managed to, you know, pass through that to find your own path. So how do you feel like you've, you avoided that, that, that trap? What, what supported you in your ability to be able to stay true to what you felt like you were going for, even though you didn't completely understand it at the time? Yeah, it was, it was hard, but I think breaking out and taking some of the workshops I did. So when I was growing up through music, I knew I learned firsthand what it was to be a musician. And, and, and I sort of was after that 
as a photographer and I was saying I need to take the workshops and be in situations where I don't know what it's like to be a photographer. You know, I know what it's like to take photographs, but I don't know what it's like to be a photographer. And I really started searching that out, um, still searching that out, kind of learning now. Um, but it was really disheartening. And I had to find other voices, as, as David Dushman would say, you know, finding the right voices to listen to. I had to find other voices to listen to. And it's sort of come full circle. And now that I'm a regular fixture at the local camera club giving lectures on composition and challenging them not to think about the rule of thirds and not to think about, um, you know, uh, leading lines, but to think about where's the light coming from and how have you added things to the image and what depth do you have and have you used layers. And um, so it's, it's, it's sort of come around and, and this year has been very gratifying that way. What's been the reception to, to your approach in sharing it with the, with those group of people? Well, it's, it's funny because there's, there's a group of people that are as thirsty as I am about how to break out because none of these people are going to do it for a living. Um, they're all doing it as their hobby and for fun. Um, and then there's, uh, the group of people who say things like, I don't know what Nancy's talking about, but she's so excited when she talks about it. <laughs> <laughs> so there's, but there's a, this, this, there's a conversation starting as opposed to sort of the anonymous critique that happens at most club settings or what I was finding at the club settings. There's a conversation starting, whether you like it or dislike it, there's a conversation starting about why you're, photographing the way you're photographing, why you're following the rules or the methods or the procedures you're doing. Um, and I think that's really important. And now I'd like to take the time to thank our sponsors. For the third year, the Candid Frame has enjoyed the support of Squarespace. The look of our website was taken to a whole new level when I made the switch. After years of wanting to transition to a modern and clean looking website, I finally did it and it all took just a couple of hours. That's because Squarespace offers beautiful templates that are easy to customize to your own personal taste. So not only does the TCF website look great, but I'm able to make changes to the content and the look using the great tools that are available in Squarespace 7. Find out for yourself by taking advantage of their 14-day free trial. You don't need a credit card, just create an account and go for it. When you decide to sign up for Squarespace, make sure to use the offer code CANDIDFRAME to get 10% off and to show your support for the show. Squarespace, everything you need to create an exceptional website. Yeah, have, yeah, having that dialogue, I think it's often what's what's missing, uh, and I'm always been hungry for that. But it's always a difficult thing to find because, like you said, you you have to make a, a search to find your community, and uh, it's especially difficult if you're trying to find it online, where so much of a discussion uh, have little to do with the debates about the aesthetics of photography or the or the actual practice of photography and it's relegated so much to you know the equipment or or the technique um but not so much the vision so 
um, the, along the lines of the people, you know, besides the people that you've learned from, like Gerd Ludwig and Jay Maisel and all these other people, talk about the people that you've, you've, you've connected with that have helped you to sort of maintain that, that focus over the last several years. Yeah. Um, there's one particular, um, uh, person I hang out with a lot, uh, Jerry Weber, um, who I met at, at, James L's workshop. We were but just both there and we didn't know each other. And it turns out we both live in Los Angeles and we were sort of like-minded in how we wanted to learn to be photographers late in our, you know, later in our lives. Um, so he's somebody who I have, we can have very honest and open conversations about, about photography, but there's also a group out here that we're all very different, but these guys are all just crazy about photography and they all do something different. One guy's like pursuing landscape and photography. Another guy's pursuing travel photography. Another guy, um, I call him most likely to be hung in a hotel wall. He's got the most beautiful, pristine, clear, classical compositions. And, you know, and he calls me the person most likely to be seen in a gallery because I'm totally the opposite, but just sort of pushing the envelope, doing things that work sometimes, doing things that don't work sometimes. But we sort of bonded as a group, and it doesn't matter what we're doing. We sort of accept everything we're doing just to talk about photography. And we get together every month with a big potluck dinner. And these are guys that can call up at any time and say, hey, you guys want to go out uh, to wherever, drive an hour to wherever. And do some shooting, they'll mostly say yes. And you always have, you always have a buddy. So I think it's good to have buddies to sort of push you out, push you out of the house. Um, when, you know, it might be too cold or too windy or too hot, um, just to get out and, and have somebody, it's almost like, you know, your workout buddy, you know, it's good to have buddies who are going to pull you out of the house to do photography, go to lectures, just talk. And, and what would you describe the sort of feedback that you get from them and you give to them? Is it sort of a, a, a real frank, uh, frankness about what you like and don't like and why or, or something else? Yes and no. Um, there's, it is very hard to talk about what you don't like about other people's imagery. Um, and part of it is because when you show your best work or you think you're showing your best work, um, you really believe that you've done the best that you can do, that, that you've put your heart into that image. And when somebody doesn't like it, it's almost saying they don't like you because it's such a deep reflection of you. So it's, it's hard, but you, I think you have to do it. I think you have to find the right ways to express it. I think it's also really important that you put yourself in the position of the person who took the photograph and not in your own position. So you have to say, oh, if I were doing landscapes, you know, this landscape appeals to me because or doesn't. Mm -hmm. Or this landscape, um, you know, has an amazing color tone to it, but you can't say, well, as a street photographer, you know, landscapes bore me. So 
Can you give me an example of a, a critique that you've that you've experienced that may have been difficult to, to get through, but that in the end you feel like provided you a, a good breakthrough? <laughs> um, sure. I was just recently. I took a workshop from Gerd Ludwig, a brilliant photographer in in my mind, and I'm showing him some images I took in Cuba, and and I probably selected the wrong images. Now that I think back at it. And he's going through the images and he's saying his his great one-liner was a bit too much like you'd find in a travel brochure. And here I was thinking that I had really captured something about the essence of Cuba in a really clean and clear way. Mm -hmm. And that was exactly what he was reacting against. And he was saying, you don't want to do things conventional. Right. You do conventional things, you'll end up in a travel brochure. You want to, you know, be a, a photographer, an artist. You want to, you know, you want to find something unconventional about how to show this. You don't, you know, and, and it was like, ooh, this is so hard and this was so right on. And, and you know, because you go through these phases of your photographer, your photography being very messy and then you sort of clean it up and then it sort of gets too clean and then you got to make it messy again. And right. In order to find just what is going to be expressive, but unique, uh, hold people's attention. Yeah. I, I probably get that because there's a certain comfort level that you get to as a photographer and, while that can be a place where you can make pretty consistent work, it doesn't necessarily mean that you're making the most challenging work. And, and one of the lessons I learned uh, was, as you mentioned earlier, was working with wide-angle lenses and, and moving in closer. Um, working with a 24-millimeter, photographing people and trying to incorporate all the elements within the scene to make some cohesive whole uh, out of everything. That's an uncomfortable place to be. And... But I knew when I first saw the initial images that that's what I needed to do, even though I, I was like, I felt like I was all the way back at uh, ground level, having to build up all over again, because it was just like unfamiliar. It was a challenge, but, but I felt like uh, many of these things aren't working, but this is where I need to be because I'm trying to do something differently than I've done before. Yeah, exactly. So I've been studying a lot of the work of... Um Alex Webb and David Allen Harvey, they have sort of this style of, you know, of, of juxtapositions and layering that is just on the edge of chaos, mm -hmm. but always works just so brilliantly. And, you know, that's, that's where you just, you just go in and you just make a lot of messy pictures and figure out what's working and what's not working and go back and try it again. And, you know, I think, I don't think there's, I think you just have to slowly wire it into your brain. Yeah, those are really two good examples because those two photographers really kind of dive in to an environment and, you know, these, a group of people in a way that I think a lot of people are very hesitant to do because they feel like they're going to be disruptive. But in some way they, they, you know, I wish I had a chance to just be a fly on the wall to watch them work, to have a better understanding of how they sort of achieve that. But it's one of the things that's always fascinated me about um, their work, as well as uh, uh, Eugene Richards, how they how they can be so immersive in in a community or uh, 
and a setting that is really pretty foreign to them, you know, and yet somehow they're able to make images that are so intimate and so energetic and so beautifully composed that I'm, I'm lost in it, but I'm also scratching my head going, how did they do it? Yeah. I, you look at the stuff and it's, it's, it's just so perfectly organized and they're in the middle of this, you know, something's like two feet from the camera, something's 20 feet from the camera. Um, and they're all at different layers and different juxtapositions and different colors. And they both shoot, you know, and, and you say, how did they do that? Exactly. So, so what did you do after you got that feedback from Gerd and, 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 how did you sort of find yourself trying to break, you know, make that breakthrough for for yourself? Yeah. So, so luckily for me, I showed him some other images that he liked better. <laughs> <laughs> but, um, you know, it was interesting. It was, it was, I was on assignment that weekend. The And he made everybody do assignments that they weren't comfortable with, which is what you should do at a workshop. So I wanted to do some street photography on Hollywood Boulevard or whatever. And he said, no, 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 you're not going to do that. You're going to do assignment day in the life of. And, and I picked my parents because they were accessible. They're sort of going through a stage that I think people need to sort of start think about. They're, they're in their 80s. They're living in a senior living place. They're having some health issues. So I wanted to pick them and I wanted, you know, it was very emotionally attached to this. And the first day I came back and he says, there's no composition in these images. You're just chasing the subject. What are you doing? What are you thinking? And I said, well, you told me yesterday. He said, <laughs> and he says, but you still have to compose your image. You still have to make frames, you know, and, and, and he sort of guides me through this. So I saw that sort of messy to cleanliness sort of in this microcosm of four days mm -hmm. of, of working on this one assignment, which is very much out of my comfort zone. I'm a very opportunistic photographer. I wait and watch for something interesting to pass by me as opposed to thinking about, oh, I have to create some story. I have to sort of pre-think through the story and the different components I'm going to need. And, and um, it's this very emotional subject who wants to talk to me and wants to be, you know, doesn't want me to just be the photographer. They want me to be the daughter. And, and it was very interesting assignment. Um, but I saw that the first day, you know, he was like, what are you doing? And I'm like, I'm showing him my worst work. <laughs> you know, it was it was very interesting, but it did slowly clean up, and I think I have a nice little collection of images from that weekend that do show some uh, some very traditional things and some more experimental things. During my downtime in December. I took the time to get up to date with the latest versions of Photoshop CC and Adobe Premiere. You know, I don't have the time to crack a book, so instead I used lynda.com to get me up to speed on both of these applications. These and other courses that they have on their site provide me one of the best ways to gain valuable insight into the tools that make a difference in my work. And each course is taught by some of the best 
instructors in the industry, making learning both fun and insightful. You can experience this for yourself and watch over 2,000 quality videos for free for a limited time. I've worked out a special deal with lynda.com to provide you unlimited access to the entire library for 10 days. Visit lynda.com forward slash the candid frame to use it for those 10 days. That's lynda.com forward slash the candid frame to start your free trial and support the show. So how has the, these experiences have affected the way you look at the work that you've created previously? Because um, you still produce some amazing work over the last couple of years, but that insight, does does it make you look at the work that you already have done differently? And, uh, and, and more specifically, has it allowed you to discover some things or some nuances that you didn't necessarily identify at the moment, but that now you, you do pick up on? Yes. Uh, I think... As I go back through the years, there are individual gems um, and how I found those gems. And sometimes I actually say to myself, gosh, I had less inhibitions than I need to get back to that state where I have less inhibitions. Um, I think that's the one thing you see before you start to study is, is like you'll see certain pieces, certain individual images, and you'll say, wow. I was really uninhibited when I took that picture. I need to bring that naivety back to some of my imagery. So I think that's that's a good learning to look back. Um, but then you know that you can do it more consciously and lead to a higher success rate. And when you see something that you really want to capture, you have a much better chance of actually getting what you think you wanted to say. Yeah. Your, your body of work is pretty diverse. Even though I've I've known you primarily as a street photographer, you've done landscapes, you've done portraits, you've done travel photography, and I love the diversity of, of the work. I'm, I'm glad that you don't get just locked into one particular type of photography. Why does it help you to you know to practice all these different types of photography, not only digital but also film and and you know and all the variations thereof? Well, part of it is is the social aspect, so. Um, I do, when I do landscape photography, mostly it's to be around my friends who want to do landscape photography. Um, but boy, there's, there's challenges in each of these and they're really very different and all very hard. You know, people say street photography is the hardest and landscape photography is the hardest. They're all hardest. I, you know, when I think about guys like Jay Maisel, and Arthur Meyerson, who are, I know they're good friends, but they're also very much sort of the same style and had very much similar kinds of careers in commercial photography and stock photography and things like that. They had to do everything and they didn't see it as a landscape. They saw it as I need to portray the pine forests that go into the paper that this company makes. <laughs> and I think when you see it that way, you can you you can put your vision into whatever it is. I've also had to sort of compartmentalize how I do things. So like when I go and try and do landscapes, I want to create 
the simplest, most abstract landscape I can. And I'm far, far, far from it. When I go to do street photography, I want to create the most complex, creative image of the street, but that still holds together compositionally and not just a mess. Mm-hmm. So it's kind of interesting that I do that, but I but I, I try to see them as very different tools. And that's how I got into doing some film photography, is I wanted to do very simple black and white landscapes in medium format. And there was no way I could afford to do that uh, digitally. Um, so I bought an old medium format Hasselblad, which didn't cost a lot of money. Um, they're not cheap, but they're not they're not super expensive. They're certainly nothing what they cost when they were new. And I just started to explore it, explore film that way. And I needed more practice doing film. So I did more 35 millimeter film. I don't know. I guess I have the luxury because I don't do this for a living. I have the luxury just to do whatever suits my fancy at whatever time and whomever I'm with. So what's the biggest challenge for you now? I mean, you've, you know, you, you, you're pretty dutiful in terms of your, your artistic practice. You take the time to, you know, get educated by people who, you know, know better than you. Um, you know, you're, you're, you're doing everything right, but, <laughs> but, but nevertheless, you still face moments of frustrations and challenges and challenges. So for you right now, what, what's the thing you're trying to, you know, you're trying to achieve in your work now? Well, I think, you know, where I'm pushing myself is to go beyond the, you know, one photograph at a time and into thinking more about projects and building a sort of project perspective to a body of work. I found that very difficult to do in that last workshop I took. And and I think it's just sort of the next challenge when I listen to a lot of photographers who I admire, they all have a cause or, or multiple causes or are embedded in a story. And I think it drives people to a higher level. Um, there's nothing like pressure, I suppose. There's nothing like building a concept. So, you know, I need to start doing, I think, more project oriented work. Um, and then, you know, what do you do with all of this stuff? So I have these great images. I do, you know, they get displayed from time to time at different exhibitions. But what do you do with it? How do you get it out there? Do you build books? Do you give it away? Do you, um, you know, what do you do with it? I, that That's a question I don't know. I don't have the answer to. But you've gotten your work out there and, and have gotten some recognition. You recently got some recognition through the Julia Dean um, or Los Angeles Center of Photography. Yeah, that that was um, that floored me. <laughs> Tell us about that. Yeah. Um, well, so Julia Dean had a call for the first annual street photography exhibit. She had a call for artists. Um, the deadline was in December, early December. I said, well, I'll put some images in. The jurors were, I, I had a little bit of an ace in the hole. The jurors were Sam Abel and Steve McLaren. I don't know Steve McLaren. His work is, uh, very much what I can see is very much in the style of Joel Meyerowitz and, and like that. 
but Sam Abel, you know, I know how he, how he photographs and how he sees and how he looks at images. And I said, well, I'll just enter some work and, you know, maybe I'll get one image in. She's going to pick 30 or 40 photographers. Maybe I'll get one image in. And I was just floored that I got four images in and that show opens in the end of January. I think January 30th is the opening. I was just uh, flabbergasted and floored and thrilled and honored and, you know, validated by the fact that I did get, you know, those images into that show. Well, congratulations. I'm excited for you for that. Thank you. Um, but it, is, it speaks to the point of you got to get the work out there. I mean, having it sit on a hard drive or in a drawer um, doesn't do anything. Yeah, you have to get the work out there and you have to know where you're going. I think, and and that's a big change from from three years ago to now. It's it's. I know a lot more photographers. I'm more familiar with a lot of their work, and I know a lot more about how to think about different styles and what I like and where to go and how to shoot and 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 like that. But I I think ultimately when I think about it, I want to teach. I taught music. I teach in my profession. You know, it's called a team and you're called a manager, but essentially you teach. Um, and I really like, like that. So I want to get enough sort of credibility as a photographer so I can get some credibility as a teacher, lecturer, things like that. I think that'd be ideal for you. I think you, you, you have both skills, you know, and that's really has been more obvious to me in the time that I've had the chance to know you. So I think you'd be great at it. So I, I fully encourage you to, to follow that path because I think it'd be a great one for you, not only as an instructor, but as a, as, as a photographer, because I think you find that the, the more you teach, the better you get as a photographer, because you have to quantify and understand your own process in a way that you don't, if you're just going out and shooting. That, that's right. So I, when I started at, at the, uh, at the local club, there was every other month, there was what they called the digital composition challenge. And the man who was doing it was a very fine photographer, but he got very sick. And he stopped doing it and someone else took over. And so the next composition challenge was the rule of thirds followed by leading lines. And then the next one was, well, any compositional element you want. And, and I scratched my head and I said, this isn't a compositional challenge anymore. If you're not going to put any constraints on it, if you're not going to put any guidelines on it, if you're not going to do anything about it. So I went up to the club dressing in and I said, look, I, you know, I have no credibility to do this, but I'm going to take this on. I'll take on doing these compositional lectures and, and, and introducing them and teaching them to the club. And in the meantime, I'll learn myself how I want to do them and what it means to me to think about composition. And it was, it was huge learning for me. I mean, I started out totally like, I have no business standing in front of all you talking about composition. But let's try <laughs> to now where, you know, I'm like saying, this is what I think about composition. And this is how I put this image together. And, and I know a lot of it was just verbalizing my journey of learning about composition. 
I encourage everybody to go out and, and teach. Well, one of the big things about being a photographer is having the support of family and, and friends. And I know that Chick is a big cheerleader for you. Um, yeah. So Chick, tell- my husband, big cheerleader. He, we're funny. We're talking about this interview. And he's like, he's like saying to me, you have to tell them about this and you have to tell them about that. I'll do the interview for you. <laughs> <laughs> so that is, that is, that is true. Um, you need to have the support around you for anything you do in your life. Um, and uh, having a spouse, we've been married for 30 some odd years now, having a spouse that's so supportive of what you do and willing to troop out with you uh for a two-hour photo walk without taking a picture of his own um, is really great. Yeah, it's always great to, to to see you guys together and to see the the unbridled support that he provides you in your photography. That's that's real heartening. Cynthia is a big cheerleader for me, so I get a great appreciation for any spouse who supports our madness. <laughs> that's true. <laughs> Well, my last question that I ask each guest is I ask them to suggest or recommend another photographer for our listeners to discover and explore. And it can be anyone, someone you've long admired or someone you've recently discovered. So who would that photographer be for you and why? So there's a photographer's work that I saw maybe three or four years ago. He's a magnum photographer. He's a young guy. His name is Jonas Bendixson. And I don't know how he really pronounces his name, but that's how I'll pronounce it. And I saw his book called Satellites. And what he did is he went through the satellites of the Soviet Union after it broke up, the satellite countries that were created. And he did a chapter on five or six different of these small um, countries now. And he's got this brilliant use use of light and layers and texturing. Um, I don't know this particular book, whether it was done on film or digital, but it's got this grainy color mystique to it. And his work is just amazing. He's a young guy. I think he's only in his twenties or early thirties now. Um, but he did satellites and then he did another book called the places we live, I think where he goes to all the, the, he went to five or six different places, which are like the lowest class of living slums in the world. And he photographed people in their homes and he would photograph these very small, you know, uh, rooms that were just square rooms and he'd photograph every wall and and you open them up, and and I just think his work is just brilliant. He's a, a documentary phot- photographer, but his work is very artistic. It just combines it all for me. Awesome, awesome. And where can people go to find out more about you and your work? Well, so my moniker on the web is iNancyImages. So you can go to iNancyImages.com for... Um, sort of albums of my work and then from there there's a blog site also iNancy um, I think it's blog.inancyimages.com 
Okay. Well, thank you for, for making the time for me this Saturday morning. I really appreciate it. And I'm, I'm glad to be, uh, I'm honored to, to actually have played a small part in your growth as a photographer. I, I so appreciate you reaching out to me and, and, uh, us being able to develop a, a friendship over the last several years. So thank you for everything. Well, thank you for having me. And, um, you know, you really helped me find my way. Uh, past the rule of thirds and the leading lines into uh, what I'm doing now. So thank you very much. Thanks for joining me for another episode of the show. The Candid Frame is brought to you by the generous contributions of listeners like you. To help support the work we do at TCF, please take the time to make a donation via PayPal for $10, $20, $50 or more. Your contributions have helped to make the show what it is. I'd also like to thank our audio engineer, Martin Taylor, who you can find at theothermartintaylor.com, and our music is provided by Kevin McLeod, whose royalty-free music can be found at incompetech.com. And this is Ibarian X, and this is The Candid Frame.